in this pivotal chapter of St Paul's letter to the church in Rome, we arrive at some core themes in Paul's understanding of what salvation is all about. And it turns out to be remarkably this world focused. While there's lofty themes everywhere that shape the meaning, it ultimately finds expression in very earthbound places. The first idea that we're presented with here is that of adoption and this is a critical idea for Paul. And we should remember that the notion of being a child of God is actually an unprecedented idea when Paul starts writing about it. While emperors might be sometimes considered to become deities, the notion that Joe Average should be adopted as a child of God, never. Slave of God, yes. Child of God, no. In the creation stories we know of outside of the Hebrew text, they portray humans as servants of the deities, slaves as it were. When the gods grew tired of doing their menial tasks, they formed humans out of the mud to become their slaves, to go and get the food that they need and offer them uh, rituals and so forth so that they will bring the rains at the right time and this kind of thing. The people were the the slaves of the gods, not the children of the gods. The people did whatever they believed the gods wanted them to do or what the gods required them to do because they were dependent on the gods. Uh, The gods needed to deliver rain at the right time and cause the crops to grow. So their primary motive was fear, fear that they would be rejected by the gods and not survive, end up not surviving the trials of life. Uh, relationship between people and deities were con- conducted on that basis. The people feared the power of the gods and the people served the gods not from a place of security or well-being but from a place of fear of divine retribution. And it's kind of dumbfounding how many people of Christian faith relate to God on pretty much the same basis of fear. It's as though the same archaic religion continues on, but we've just changed the names of the deities to protect the innocent. But Paul wants to say we are not conscripted as slaves to our God. We are adopted as children And this status has its own benefits and responsibilities because a slave is really just an extension of the will of the master. The slave is expendable and replaceable. You might have good slaves, you might have so-so slaves, you might have bad slaves, but in the final analysis, they were all slaves and they existed to do the will of their master. By contrast... We raise children to be people in their own right. While we might secretly harbour narcissistic hopes that they turn out to be mini-me or something like that, good parenting fosters a child's growth and sense of security such that they might internalise helpful guiding principles but then become their own self-governed, responsible person. When Wei, my eldest daughter, was almost three we were finally approved and uh, ultimately allocated our second daughter, Pei. 
and this was in Taiwan at the time. She was in Taiwan. We were in Australia. And by this time, Wei had minimal language, but Joe and Wei uh, had uh, developed quite a capacity to communicate with each other. And one day around this time, Joe was with Wei, and they were running around the city going to the consulate, the Taipei Consular Affairs or whatever it is, and getting visas and other documents sorted out uh, for our impending trip to Taiwan to pick up our second daughter, which was all very exciting. And we'd been talking with Wei about picking up a, a new baby, And on this day in the city, Wei became very, very distressed, uncharacteristically distressed. And it hit a crescendo, and Joe uh, took some time aside to explore with Wei what was going on and upsetting her so much. And somehow, Wei had got into her little head that we were getting ready to return to Taiwan in order to swap her out for another child. So no wonder she was very, very distressed. And it took... Joe took time to explain to this little three-year-old mind that uh, Wei was our daughter now and she wasn't leaving us. She was with us for good and we would never, ever abandon her. And Wei's a smart girl and once that was explained to her, she got it and she really has not looked back since and is developing into a person I am so proud to know. And let me say, I'm also proud to know Pei, my younger daughter, who's delightfully different in her personality, but uh, both are growing into their own people. Not an extension of Joe and I, but being who they are and growing up to make their contribution to the world. It would be a cruel tragedy if my daughters felt they had to conform to my will or that they would be rejected if they didn't. And I can assure you they don't suffer from that. But uh, while adoption may be the process by which we come into the family of God, our status is as children, nothing less. And Paul speaks of us becoming heirs with Christ as children of God if indeed we suffer with him. But what might suffering with Christ actually look like? It's very unlikely that we're going to get nailed up on a cross, which was part of his suffering, What is the main suffering that Christ went through? Anyone who reads the gospel stories will encounter a central character who is extraordinarily self-giving. Any person who follows Christ and gives themselves like Jesus will suffer. It's inevitable and unavoidable. There is a kind of suffering that results from those who take advantage of our kindness There is a kind of suffering that comes because we might decide not to deflect blame to somebody else. There is a kind of suffering that is a result of living in a vulnerable manner in a hostile world. But more than any of these, for Christ there is a suffering of seeing unresponsive people. The pain of love poured out on those who stiffen their necks and turn their shoulders. The suffering of knowing how much pain those people must be in to turn away from love. The suffering of encountering brokenness that is so reactive it cannot open itself to healing. This is the suffering of having all authority but not the coercive kind of authority, the internally compelling form of authority which sadly is lost on the lost. 
And then there is the suffering of grief for the lost. And this is an inconsolable suffering in a way because some of the lost will never allow themselves to be found. If this seems like a strange notion to you, I encourage you to search your own experiences of love when you have loved someone else only to have them be unresponsive to you. And not the pain of having your affections rejected, the far deeper suffering of desiring the best for someone only to watch them behave in self-destructive ways. At my previous church, there was a young fellow I spent considerable time with. He was dead keen on exploring all sorts of ideas, and including his faith, faith, it seemed. And after a while, it became clearer that he felt a need to protect himself from certain aspects of the call of Christ. And we all do that from time to time, so no big deal. But then he started to form his theology around his need to avoid. And this became increasingly exclusionary such that he became a fervent and staunch critic of all kinds of people, particularly Christian people, even though he continued to be a Christian, he thought the way that they were doing their Christianity was not the right way of doing it. And eventually I became one of those whom he rejected. And this rejection hurt me. Uh, At first I could not believe that this fellow I'd given so many hours to could uh, suddenly decide I was a bad guy. And... His critique was unbalanced and inaccurate, and yet it still hurt. But that pain is nothing compared to the realisation of what he was excluding himself from. He now lives a life of reaction, defining himself by what he is not, forming an identity group by his his methodical exclusion of others. He believes he has the truth and those who disagree with him are wrong. But the lie is exposed in how hard he works to protect his truth because real truth doesn't need protecting, only the telling thereof. As C.S. Lewis once said of scripture, I'd sooner protect a lion. It is deeply saddening to see one I care about, not just lost in this way, but who has built an edifice to resist the possibility of ever allowing himself to be found. Generally, we protect ourselves and cut ties with people who behave like this, as I did with this young man, ultimately, and uh, he cut ties with me too. We decided Uh, Well, we kind of decide that people like that are not worthy of our care if they're not willing to care for themselves. But the love of Christ simply does not give up on anyone. As a consequence, the suffering of the heart of Christ is in that sense beyond our imagining. For every person who gives up caring about themselves, every person who gives themselves to something or to someone unworthy of them, there is a grief in the heart of Christ, not an anger. Anger is the way we often protect ourselves from these more vulnerable responses, but anger just makes us feel strong when we cannot accept our powerlessness. God has no need of that kind of response. The heart of God grieves the lost. Is that a suffering you have any willingness to participate in? 
And the way we engage in these sufferings of Christ has a far-reaching consequence, not simply for us, but for the whole of creation. Paul writes that the creation groans, the whole creation is affected by the brokenness of humanity and sure enough the whole creation will be affected by the salvation of humanity as well. In the Genesis 3 story, when we hear about the fall of Adam and Eve, the whole creation wears the impact of their disregard of God. It says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles will grow for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. So the the creation feels the impact of the human being's behaviour. And today we see the tangible impacts of human greed and disregard on everything from the degradation of the Great Barrier Reef to the islands of plastic that drift across the world's oceans. Our stewardship of the creation is deeply informed by our capacity to hear and respond to the cries of genuine victims. Not those who claim victim status as a manipulation strategy, but those who are genuinely persecuted, oppressed and deprived of the opportunity to flourish. And this includes the planet itself. When the Hebrew law, several million years ago, introduced the notion of the Sabbath, it extended that idea not just to the people and to the slaves, but also to the earth as well. There should be a rest year for your fields. Our God is one who gives voice to those who have no voice. And the planet has no voice. Yet it is letting us know we have not been responsible stewards. If we, listen, if we do not listen and change our ways, we will suffer the consequences of our neglect. As we are revealed as the children of God, as we live into our calling and increasingly realise all that we were created to be, the glory of God becomes evident in and through us. In us, in, that we, in what we hold to be important, and through us in how we express our care for those around us and the whole of creation. Now, here at Mustard Seed, our little congregation is a fairly small group, We're aware that there are things that we can take on and other things that are not for us to take on. But what I love about this community is the way we invite and encourage each other to make the fullest contribution we feel that we can. This both empowers each one of us to enrich our community and the miracle is it also creates an abundance, an abundance of welcome, an abundance of encouragement, an abundance of opportunity, an abundance of engagement and generosity. No one is coerced. Everyone is welcome. And this is the spirit that will save the world. You see, in our world there will always be politics. There will always be law. I presume we'll always have science and probably always activism. There will always be religion. And these are all part of the machinations of our particular species. The thing that will make the difference to where all these enterprises end up is the revelation of the children of God. Standing up to, be, to reveal the true glory of God through our willingness to share in the suffering 
of our God and being instrumental in the salvation of the whole of creation. And I've got to say, it's not popular work. It won't make the headlines. It is embodied in engaged communities of care, like Mustard Seed, places where people can be encouraged and given opportunity to explore what they have to offer the world. This reality is the mustard seed of which Jesus spoke about in his parable. It's a little thing that provides amazing shelter to so many. But it's also the leaven hidden in the lump of dough, gradually releasing its expanding force through the whole lump. So as we go through these crazy times with technology that doesn't work when you want it to, etc., I encourage you to, be, to remain faithful, my friends. Keep sharing the love and truth of Christ in word and in deed, in care and in every practical way that you can. Our task has never been more important than it is today. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you don't call us simply to be servants or slaves. You adopt us as children of God and we become co-heirs with you even as we enter into your suffering and the grief of a broken world that informs our hearts and calls forth from us the need to stand tall as your people and bring love into the world and forgiveness and restoration that the whole creation might be transformed by the revelation of the children of God. To the glory of your name. Amen.